0: You know what that sound means. This is the Bradenton Times Podcast. I am Dennis Mitch Maley. This week, I am joined by two special guests, my colleague Don Kitterman and TBT founder, publisher, and 22-year Manatee County Commissioner Joe McClash for what is the 100th episode of of our podcast,
1: This is great. I can't believe that it's been 100 podcasts already.
0: Right? So uh, thank you all for listening, and we, we really appreciate the continuous support that we've gotten. And uh, Joe has just gotten back from his annual trip abroad that he takes when everything kind of shuts down, and a lot has happened since he's been gone, so we're going to catch him up. First of all, the heat has been incredible. I don't know if you heard, but uh, right before you came back, the first week in... The Tampa Bay region averaged the first week of July, averaged three degrees higher than the historical average. So when you start talking about Florida in July, I mean, a half a degree is a massive step up. Three degree higher average. We hit 100 twice in one week.
1: And the worst part is the water is following Mm -hmm. suit, too. It's just not the air. And down in the Keys, we have the reefs Uh, waters that are over 90 degrees in some spots. That's unheard of. And seventh confirmed
0: case of malaria in Sarasota County was announced this week. Now, that's something I remember reporting at least 10 years ago that that was a dire warning issued by climate scientists saying that if we don't get this under control, one of the things that regions such as Florida are going to deal with is the increased range of tropical diseases right. because the vectors can, uh, you know, they're changing. Yeah, and they can stay longer. Yeah. They, the, the mating season, all those things change because of the the uh, the warmth. And then when you look at that, and you combine it with the drought that we've suffered uh, with that extreme heat. I mean, the, the you've been here a long time. Obviously, the the environment here. This is. It's incredibly unique, right? Yeah,
1: it is. And typically, maybe in August, you would have water this hot and the air would be that hot. But the other thing that's lacking is our afternoon thunderstorms. So we haven't had the afternoon thunderstorms. Normally, you get some relief at night because all of a sudden you get the sea breeze, you know, you get the thunderstorms roll through, everything cools down about 70 degrees at nighttime, and you get that break. But that's not happening um, in a lot of parts of our county right now, as well as Florida. So we've got uh, a lot to catch you up on right now. Uh, we did
0: get a report yesterday that the county drinking water is safe. Now we reported on this extensively, but I didn't really like the announcement from the county because it just basically said, hey, we've had some outside third-party testing and it's just these two things that we said that are causing the smell, but it never really explained the fact that the county had confirmed that they had found dangerous cyanobacteria right. in the water. And they just it sounds like they're saying, Well, the outside party didn't find it, and that's that. And that doesn't sound assuring enough to me.
2: What yeah. is the the press release that came out yesterday from the county? What is it cite? It's like uh Neosins. What what is that word that they're saying? G Gonsins. It's G E O S I N S.
0: Here it says. Um the current algal bloom is primarily attributed to prolonged hot and dry weather conditions. As a result, the water treatment process includes the use of powdered activated carbon to mitigate geo, yeah, geosmin. Yes. Okay, so I, uh, yeah. so
2: I looked that up last night to understand what that was because when I read the press release, I was understanding it to be something different than the, how do you say it, cyanobacteria? So correct. Um, apparently this is something that cyanobacteria creates Right. It's, it's like a secondary, so, it's a byproduct of right. So, so my understanding then from the press release, though it does not cite the cyanobacteria in yesterday's press release, I don't think you can have this geo geoism which you're claiming,
0: it. you know correctly is not an algal toxin, but right. it it seems to me more like it's it's a case of and I'm just speculating here, but it feels like we're maybe seeing, hey, we did some outside testing and. Didn't get any bad news, let's run with that.
1: Yeah, well, that's probably accurate. Um, Initially, I think the reports probably were correct. You'd have those toxins that are emitted from these algaes. And as we know now, they're harmful to humans. And I think the first reporting probably got it right. I think the community's right to be concerned about the increase of these algae blooms. Uh, South Florida is just being inundated with um, algae blooms. And Central
2: Florida as well. I, I found some reports about Lake Worth. Um, Back beginning, the oldest ones back I was finding was like 2015, 2017. They had some significant blue-green algae blooms. Um,
1: And it's not unexpected during the summertime when the water gets hotter to have these algae blooms. We've always had it at Lake Manatee. That's always been able to have it under control. Typically, you treat it in the lake, though. You don't, you know, there's not a real good method of treating the water once you have the algae into the The water intake, you know? So um, there's ways to treat it while it's in the lake, it's expensive, but that's um, goes back to also prevention. We need to make sure that we protect our watershed, which we know we're not doing.
0: And that's, I think the larger point here is this drawing attention to the idea that we've just been talking for months before this happened about the overdevelopment in the watershed, particularly adjacent or very close to lake manatee and now here we are so yeah. they can correctly say hey this just happens when it gets really hot it's been particularly hot and that's all well and good but it does shine that spotlight back on then why are we granting these development exceptions to allow this intense development in the
1: watershed specifically right around the reservoir Yeah, we know that if we allow development within the watershed we'll have worse water quality in our drinking water lake manatee is a surface water supply and we also have the wells but the lake manatee which is the bulk of your water supply needs to be protected and we've always had those good stewards that work for manatee county and also the elected officials that knew the importance of it and today we have these county commissioners just that want to sell out the house like we need development so this is where it needs to go but it also robs the inner cities of having redevelopment take place there so every time we change that development boundary. It may sound like a good idea politically to somebody, but the reality is it takes away from the redevelopment of these areas in the middle of where the vast majority of the infrastructure already exists. And it's less expensive to, to take your ambulance there to your, your, your policing. I mean, there's so many good reasons why you should be redeveloping versus extending development boundary lines. It's going to cost more for this county, and it's also gonna be harmful to our drink and water supply, which is which is just sad. And
0: we know that the whole idea that this is to, you know, provide housing inventory because we're in a housing crisis is just nonsense because the vast majority right. of the houses get sold to people coming in from outside the community, and they're not being sold at anywhere near a workforce housing price level. So all it really, it, on its face, and this will be a great transition into our next subject, It's just a way of developers saying, hey, we got a really good deal on this land out here, and it's one thing to build it as designed, but if you could just let us build some more houses and and denser than they're supposed to be there, well, then we get more money and we like money.
1: Yeah, they like (laughs) money, and then also we suffer with all the traffic consequences because they're not collecting enough impact fees to support the infrastructure. They're not ahead of the curve on developing the roads that are needed to take place before the people move in, and it all goes back to the initial Planning that we had about 20 years ago that we wanted to con- concentrate the development on the inner cities and not extend these urban, uh, these development boundaries.
2: I, May- Go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off there. Uh, I think too it's uh to tie back to what we started the conversation with about your reference to the increasing the, the temperature record right. breaking. You know, this is kind of like a, a perfect storm. My light research. Um, into the water issue and the algal bloom, what I was seeing was that um, environmental scientists have been warning in Florida and likely other coastal uh, communities, but Florida particularly, that this time was coming, that without appropriate precautions, the recipe would be correct to begin to see significant agile blooms and other risks to water supplies across the entire state that are coming from surface water reservoirs um so between you know as you said the 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 yes it's true that you know drought seasons and summer seasons and these things tend to um encourage this this sort of environmental response but obviously if you're seeing a summer with three degrees rate record-breaking temperatures combined with development that is encroaching closer upon areas that are designed to to buffer the runoffs of uh nitrogen and and things and you're creating a cocktail where it it should have been foreseen
0: exactly and as we reported in a midweek update the planning commission just recommended two more intense uh zoning changes to increase density right there one of them is right there in fact, in the picture, in the aerial that we showed in the, in the story today, you can see the edge of Lake Manatee. Yeah. And they're saying, hey, uh, you know, we already have this one, which was already rezoned and not supposed to be that way. And now we've got this other area out here that we'd like to uh, uh, go ahead and develop, even though it's even closer to the lake itself. And on top of it... We see another use of that ag exemption right. where the land has been clear cut. Oh, well, we didn't do it. We don't yeah. really own it yet. Uh, that, that The agricultural landowner did it for agricultural yeah. purposes, and now we just happen to like it better and it's it's more attractive
1: for us to buy. But uh, no, there was no coordination on that happening. Yeah, and the other thing that you got to remember is that when you put a house uh, on a piece of property with, with its concrete driveways and its sidewalks and the roads going up to it, you're taken away from that natural vegetation. And so that's another reason why you don't extend the urban boundary because we have it in our comp plant. We're supposed to be encouraging those areas to be preserved in a natural state or in farming or something that allows for that runoff or the rainwater to percolate down and recharge our systems. But it also reduces heat because once you start having – all these houses in one place, the temperature goes up in yes. the subdivisions. It's, it's a science. Because that concrete and, right.
0: and metal and everything absorbs yeah. heat and actually even after the sun goes down for hours later, it's still emitting heat back yeah, off. And that's why you see some of these areas getting the evening temperatures yeah. much higher than they
1: yeah. typically yeah. are. I mean the concretes act, act as a heat sink and yeah. it just absorbs all that heat from during the day. Whereas if it was vegetation, it would be cooling off. And that's, that's something that, um, you know, when we develop policies to have a better quality of a community, those are the things that were talked about and discussed. And now you have people just coming in and arbitrarily extending development boundaries and putting in more asphalt and more houses in areas where it was never intended because um, that was supposed to be part of our preserve our environment, make our quality of life a little bit better in our community. Because we could do better because we know better, right? Now, let's look into the hows and whys on this. And I think the most just, just some of
0: this just lays out so perfectly yeah. that you're like, oh, if everybody could just connect these dots, we might be able to pull out of this. And that is the excellent reporting done in last Sunday's edition by Mrs. Kinnerman here on Chair Kevin Van Austenbridge's record-breaking fundraising. Um, talk about a grassroots army <laughs> of
2: support
1: <laughs> I wouldn't call it grassroots unless you're talking about taking out the grass and <laughs> putting houses in. But, yeah, th- that list um, I was looking at before I came here. And it's it's more extensive. And if anybody wants to go to Supervised Elections website, and uh, great job, Don, bringing this um, reporting to the readers because there is, there is just nothing but a $1,000 contributions pretty much yep. from everybody that gets something from the county, from the developers, to the pe- people that are doing the site walk, work development, and you know, probably even the people selling vehicles to the county.
2: And amazingly, all of this money was donated and collected, right? He filed for re-election uh, June 1st, has held no fundraisers. But, yeah, it has $170,000. Well,
1: well, typically the way it works is like, uh, and Pat Neal has been doing it for years, he has a person on his staff, and they usually go around and get all the checks ahead of time and then basically have a meeting. They used to have a fundraiser where there was some expenses listed on this one. I noticed there's no expenses on the report at all. It's all income. And so um, that's that's what's been going on for years. I mean, Neal Development has been doing it for years. They had a person that was dedicated to going around and collecting these checks. Um, I imagine it's working the same way today as it worked, you know, Yeah, there used to ago.
0: always be a point of pride that Pat Neal could raise $100,000 yeah. in an hour on the telephone. Yeah. The interesting thing, my read on this show, and I'd be curious to hear your reaction, the thing I kind of thought, because obviously that's very aggressive, but two two things came up to me. One would be the the... The sort of MO has shifted recently in recent years to do more of it through PACs. Right. So we saw that, like, let's say, for example, uh, George Cruz's campaign sure. last time. Didn't have nearly as much cash as as some of them, but it had an enormous amount of PAC money. Yeah. And that usually sends a signal that the, the backer, you know, uh, the development industry, is concerned about giving the money over to the candidate and wants to really make sure they control the messaging that's done which they could do through more through the pack so that tells me one they're not worried about that with mr van Ossenbridge he's been a good boy listened yeah. well and done exactly yeah. what they told him to on every vote but two i think the bigger message there is he's at risk because he's in the small district right and he's really made a lot of people angry, particularly on the island, where you have an outsized level of, I would say, political awareness. You yeah. have a uh, greater turnout, and you also have more informed voters. And with that war he's waged with the island, I think they see him as being more vulnerable than most candidates. And I think this is really a message of, hey, if you're thinking about running in district three, look at that, look what you're up against. Whereas the PACs, it's a little bit harder and beginning sure. to see you know what what a guy might be armed with
1: yeah it's typical for people um, that want to scare away the competition to raise a whole lot of money in the beginning and say look at how much money i've raised so you would be crazy to run against me and i think people would be crazy not to run against him because i don't think his popularity is there i believe a good grassroots candidate you know republican democrat there really should be both on the ballot so that in republican primary we could choose a better republican to represent us pub- Republicans versus the one that's wastefully spending our dollars and calling himself a conservative and wastefully costing the community a lot of our quality of life issues. You look at the issues on 59th Street where the people were begging, why do we need this extra road? Well, you don't need that extra road in front of their houses. Their traffic isn't going to go up that much around 59th Street. And, and so you have these pockets where people have said, please you know, protect our community, and he's not doing it. The island was just like you know, just let's shove a parking garage down your throat and put four thousand what people in one spot to try to go to a beach that's only about maybe two hundred yards wide. It's, the mass doesn't work. I mean, and not to
0: mention what it's like already yeah. at that bottleneck where people are coming out of yeah. the parking lot with much less spaces and people coming from the north end of right. the island, particularly if a, if the
1: drawbridge goes up and down. But I think people really need to look past the money, and I know that's hard to do because whoever's going to run against them, and there will be somebody that runs against them, they have to be prepared to be beat up by this bully tactics of politics today. It's not just Van Austin Bridges' campaign. It's all the campaigns. If you run against me, I'm going to you know, attack you and say, bad things about you and you can't do anything about it if it's not true because that's there's nobody to be held accountable anymore so you know we've seen it back um years ago there was uh, stan stevens versus jane van Ham and stan was the development representative jane was the grassroots candidate she was outspent over 10 to 1 uh, by um, stan stevens she's still was able to uh, accomplish a win. I think and sure. that was in the same district? Yes, yeah. it was in the same district. So, District 3, would you agree,
0: it's kind of unique in that sense? Yeah, that it, it, it it's is. It's a
1: smaller district population-wise, but then it's also pretty
0: dense together, so you can sort of well, grassroots it better than you could, let's say, in District 1.
1: Sure, but that's the whole reason why we have district elections, so that money does not control the outcome of the vote. It's, it's certainly going to be a factor, mm-hmm. but I think also – with the reputation that Van Austin Bridge has out there when people get a piece from him, it's also a reminder how bad he is. So right. even though you send out a piece saying, I'm great, you know, I hold a rifle here and I'm for your gun rights and the people in this community are smarter. They know what's been taking place. They know their quality of life is suffering. You know, people are saying that we're going to do something to improve your, your roads. And, and they're not, I mean, they're not putting the infrastructure in ahead of time.
2: Uh, I think what we can likely anticipate seeing. So Van Ostenbridge was actually quoted in another publication about this hundred and seventy thousand dollars. That a hundred and fifty of it, it was his intention to spend on mailers. Yeah. Now I have already gone and kind of you know took peeks in in some of the packs uh, packs that were referenced in this reporting that had donated to him, but also packs that we saw in previous elections that were used for for money kind of funneled into the local elections here. And, you know, it's it's I cannot say definitively monies that I'm seeing being moved in and around from other packs and into consolidated into some of these packs is necessarily all monies that's going to be spent in Manatee County because there's just no way to to prove that out. But my hunch is that some of the money I'm seeing moved around inside of those likely is getting put into place for local elections. Sure. I suspect the hundred and fifty thousand that Van Austin Bridge is saying he will spend on mailers will likely be mailers that will go out, owned by his campaign, right. signed by his campaign, right. and they're going to list all the wonderful things. Right. And the the ones that will attack whoever it is will come
0: from the those are going
2: to come yeah. from the packs and it'll be at least another hundred and fifty or more um, spent on that. Yeah, how many mailers can you afford to put out there where people look at it as totally a waste of I think resources? we need to have a big community event, kind of like a block party. And we need to find somebody with a bunch of land out east or something and host like a big bonfire. Big and tell all. everybody to collect <laughs> all, their, all their mailings right, mail throughout the season and we'll just go out there and you know burn them all and and talk about why that's little you know they're basically their only worth how about
1: about if we do recycling dumpsters instead (laughs) the
2: glossy paint (laughs) and print might be a little toxic but
1: but yeah what about the other issue that has a lot of its
0: constituents angry what did you think of that data breach that was associated
1: It's just crazy for somebody to um, get information first of all that you get get from the supervisor elections office supervisor elections office has all the emails pretty much of every voter in his district and if they don't have an email then more than likely those people don't want to be emailed by their politician and so the list that he acquired was one that was unfortunately not just emails and has an expansive amount of data on on individuals that's private you, you sh- Yes, you have companies that go and and, uh, scrape your data all the time, but these are the things that are covered on the privacy policies, and you're supposed to voluntarily give that stuff up. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something that you should have an elected official today uh, be able to acquire by paying somebody money and then using that list to refine what he's going to mail to you. And then he could take that. It's a public record. He could That's use the, it for his campaign right. now.
0: That's the biggest problem: is that you know, unfortunately, this stuff happens regardless. And I would imagine that that all of the commissioners are doing it. But the method, which right. seems to be just a way to save himself some money and but, put it on the public dime,
1: but it was so stupid. I mean, you're kind of like thumbing your, you know, nose or whatever at the um, process because for the thousand or somewhat dollars that it costs, he had that much money probably still in his campaign. Sure. Um, or his office
2: account from his previous campaign. Not to mention he's making 100000 a year. Yeah, I mean, but, you know. In, Pay your own bills. <laughs> yeah, and his consultant. <laughs> like the rest of us do, for crying <laughs> out loud.
1: If he probably would have asked his consultant, he probably already has that data, because right. most of the time you have that data already collected from your constituents. Well, and, 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 and interesting on that
2: point is the, the connection that appears to exist between... Van Austin Bridges' newly hired aide, who has Previously
1: employer work, pop, right. uh, work political
2: work. employment history, history yeah. with the person that he you apparently the list, right? placed the order yeah. with. Um, the other thing, you know, I I want to stress because I cannot stress this enough. There there has been, um, you know, you there's some comments on, on my reporting on this. And I've seen some on social media where there are some entities trying to say the information gotten through this purchase is all information that's available at the supervisor of election That is not true. Right. And what you were just saying was what the supervisor election has is, is limited data that we willingly give over. Right. Um, And in fact, had they taken it from there, they would have had a much more valid email address for me because I've looked at myself on this voter data. They have a very outdated um, email address, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that um supervisor of election does not keep things like my religious no, affiliation. no it's not on there uh my home value no nope. my net worth my nope. occupation how many nope. kids i have how, how likely you are to vote on abortion issues or gun right yeah. issues
1: right no they basically just g- keep the basic information that you you g- provide them like your birth date because they have to know how old you are the, your gender you know then they keep track of the last time you've you know the all the times you voted in elections uh, but in your address, I mean, that's pretty much yes. all you get from the Supervisor Elections Office. So people that are listening to this shouldn't be alarmed about the information kept by the Supervisor Elections Office. They're very good as far as maintaining a list that's just needed for the purposes of, mm-hmm. of maintaining a voter database. Yeah.
0: We also learned uh, a little bit more directly through a public record how influential that political consultant is. Uh texting commissioners about regarding appointments to advisory boards right you know yeah
1: the, you're talking about pedesini this yes. time, yeah yeah mm-hmm. swims whatever name Sim wins some wins that he goes by yeah so it you know it's kind of interesting if if the uh consultant is actually providing that much um advice and uh,
0: it didn't sound like <laughs> advice it sounded like a directive so like an order
2: and what, uh, and what i especially appreciated about the text message was he the text message does not say you should not, or the board should not. It says, quote, we will not, cannot appoint. He includes himself yes, in that. Right. He is a we, Yeah, apparently. And that's my um, kind of interesting
1: part that when you become the we, I think you're <laughs> part of a public record request um, now because what you're doing is being an advisory type of board interesting. to the county commissioners. And so... I think Michael Barfield should lend some of his talent to go after uh, Petticini's public records in relationship to advising county commissioners, because it's no different than an advisory board becomes public uh, underneath the public records law. If an individual's asserting that much advisory opinion
2: on county commissioners, um, that whole paper trail should be uh, followed up on. Well, and we've seen signs of that before going back to the redistricting period of yep. time. There were text messages where Petticini was texting with Commissioner Satcher uh, I think it was Saturn. One other, it was that whole matter over them squabbling. There were some commissioners fighting over who was going to get the this the district, yeah. Terracia area. Yeah, in the redistricting. Yes, and there were text messages from Pedicini, kind of telling Saturn like, "Settle down, man. You got your part." Or ask for this, or yeah. like literally during the meeting, yeah. instructing them how to. Yeah communicate with each other and split the map up yeah and that's that's
1: all really something that's part of in my opinion public records that you could request and if they don't supply it then that would be an interesting lawsuit have a judge actually um, require those records to be disclosed um, that were there and also it's it's um, illegal for somebody to act as a conduit between county Mm. commissioners um you can't have one person going around to the different commissioners saying oh all right satcher will be all right with this and if you know Cruz is okay with that so, or,
2: or even delivering a message that they've taken from one commissioner yeah you can't, you can't go over and say hey we aren't yeah. gonna do this because one commissioner yeah. reached out to you and said hey yeah. can you let everybody know we shouldn't do this yeah. for me
1: or Cruz is okay with this or oh, van austin bridge is okay with this if you're okay with it it'll, but Yeah, some, we used
0: to have the county administrator would be the conduit the yeah. conduit for, for those backdoor communications, and now it seems like it's the consultants yeah. then. Yeah.
2: Now, did you open the um, copies of the text message, the, the records, the files at the bottom of that reporting? Did you happen to notice there was also a moment where uh, Mr. Petticini requested of Jason Bearden to sign what Petticini referred to as a, quote, mosaic letter? Did yeah, you see that? I didn't that? see that.
0: So he basically was lobbying. It's, it very clearly seemed that Pettuccini appeared to be lobbying for the phosphate industry in that oh. road material uh, project. Oh, yeah, And he wanted the commissioners to sign off on supporting it to be sent up to Tallahassee. So that's another... Now the the potential conflicts of interest I don't know is is Mosaic or other phosphate interests are they clients of Mr. Pettuccini's? <laughs> um is is he is he using his influence with elected officials in
2: our county to advance
0: interests on a
2: statewide level that are contrary to the interests of our citizens or or that are the interests of other clients that maybe he represents in other yes, know, that's elections what I mean, yeah. Yeah, I seems, mean his, right. yeah he has various packs and he represents
1: various mm-hmm. interests and so I I would not and Now we
0: have to wonder whether or not he's just strategizing with his clients on what might help them get better, better reelected or leveraging his influence with his clients to well, advance the interests of other clients.
1: Well, well right. obviously he's leveraging his, his client's interest because when he met with Carlos Bruff at his personal residence before Cruz. The evening of Cruz's DUI. DUI, accident. I mean, he was, he was there getting, um, you know. A, well, I'm sorry, non-DUI as yeah, it's now been well, adjudicated. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess he's only been accused of a DOI um, but and they can't prove it but you know he was at Bruce's house and but, you know Pedicini was there and Pedicini was there for the purpose of probably just not a meeting with Cruz at Bruce's house I
2: mean it, although that is what just to be fair that, that is what, what all of them have alleged in the interviews they did with um, the state attorney. I'm Office. sure that's...
0: And as that I'll, is, that I'll remind were, you one more time that the perils of flood vote was the next morning, yeah. and that seemed much more likely to be the subject than Cruz's affordable housing initiative.
1: Yeah, and there's no secret that um, roofs companies have given to uh, the PACs that um, Petticini has organized the campaign mailers to support the candidates from Cruz to van austin
2: branch. well in 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 the in the uh interview with the state's attorney's office i listened to both of those recordings Pedicini is very clear when they ask him what he had been drinking yeah. um you know he makes he makes it sound like he's got an open door invitation at yeah. the baroof home yeah. i mean he's Anytime. naming the specific sort of liquor and where it's pos- yeah. you know kept on hand and um the type of glass you know, yeah. and I that's mean, what I always drink when I'm at Baruch's house at, not, you know so it's not like a a, a happenstance meeting or something yeah.
1: it's not like you couldn't have met him at the uh, martini bar that uh- <laughs> Was the final final place of the drinking before the tree was hit by some unknown driving uh, person driving a vehicle
0: who appeared on video to be deeply inebriated? Um, Looks like they're gearing up to make another run at lowering impact fees. We can all see that coming from a a mile away. What do you think about
1: that? I mean, they've been doing this for years now, and uh, the reality is, if anybody looks around, the roads are not keeping up with development and development's not paying for the road infrastructure it needs. If that's the code, that's the comp plan, they're not doing it. And then they get around it by trying to um, either lower the responsibility of the developers when it comes to these impact fees that they should be paying. But the reality is they're probably only about half or a third of, of what they should be charging. And the sad part too, is that it's it's a fraction of the cost of development today. When they're selling a home for seven hundred thousand dollars, I mean a realtor is making what six percent or five percent or whatever the negotiated rate may be. So the realtor's making, you know, a good chunk of change, like thirty five thousand dollars for selling a house, and we can't get a developer to upfront, you know, half of that for infrastructure needed to support the house. So when you think about it, it it seems like we're not really sharing the same type of logic when you put more importance on the salesperson selling the house than the infrastructure needed to get to the house.
2: And I've never understood the argument. Vanessa Baugh would repeat this a lot uh, when the when the subject of impact fees came up. She would always say, well, if you raise the impact fees, what you're really doing is raising the cost of homes for the, for the residents because it will be passed on to the consumer and not actually to the um, – responsibility of the of the builder which has always confused me because and please correct me if i'm wrong i'd I'd love to know the answer to this my basic understanding is that you still have a fair market you can't turn around and list a house for more than it's going to sell for when the market that that is it's a nonsensical
0: argument they do that by actually delineating that expense on the home purchase st- to give the impression that, well, it would be less if we didn't have to pay this. Yeah.
1: Well, it would be less if you didn't have to pay a realtor 35000 right. or $40,000. Well, those houses but,
2: are already four hundred right, to five hundred right, to $600,000 right. right. yeah, homes The, the point regardless. Is, is that in a free market
1: environment,
0: this is what we've
2: argued yeah. forever. It, it, it's but, not like the lack of impact fees suddenly means we have a... a surplus of affordable housing. Right. Oh, and correct. And what you got to
1: remember too, because you're absolutely correct, is some market-driven. So as the developer develops a piece of property, you know, they start three years out and they're projected to maybe uh, have a lot valued at $50,000 to $100,000, let us just say. And then all of a sudden, by the time they go developing the infrastructure two years later and the houses are starting to get built, those lots are now maybe worth $100,000 to 150000 so the developer made more is going to make more money than what he thought he was going to make because of the natural appreciation of the uh, dirt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people just see more demand in Florida. So all of a sudden, you know the prices are going up. It's not going up because they have more expenses. The prices are going up because they have more demand. It's just business 101. And we've seen this over the years, especially in Florida, that the developers start out asking one price, and then after a while, they – pump up the prices, not because their material costs went up, because the demand was there and they could get another 50000 mm-hmm. another 100000 You know, the first time I noticed that was one of those Neil subdivisions on university where he was projecting about a $50,000 lot, and then all of a sudden they went up to about 100000 So he made an extra $50,000 more than what he thought he was going to make off those lots initially but he wouldn't really step up to the plate and and support more impact fees. So when you think about it, you know, the market, like you're saying, does drive the price of the house. Yes. It may have an influence on some type of housing, but not most of the housing. Um, And then we have the affordable housing type of uh, programs that help subsidize impact fees and soften the blow there. If it's truly affordable housing, which Mm -hmm. really nobody's building out there. Uh, So, at the end of the day, if, in fact, you had the impact fees at the appropriate amounts, we would have better quality of life for the residents that are going to live here in the future. And then we could get the infrastructure done earlier because the last thing you want to do is have everybody move in. And then all of a sudden we need to tear up the road from and make it from two lanes to six lanes.
2: Well, why didn't you do that before we got here? Can impact fees be? They can be used? for more than just road infrastructure, right? They can be used for utility infrastructure. Well, there's specific fees yeah. that are detailed. Yeah, we have um, several. It's uh, okay. park impact fees, lawn uh, public safety, I think they
1: call it now. Okay. Library, I think, has one. Oh. And then um, you have the roads, of course. Um, and then the utilities is a separate fee structure altogether. Okay. Oh, I see. Yeah, they, they basically operate- And completely different,
0: it. you have the school impact fees. Yeah. Right, right, right. Now, another thing, another trick that gets used, and this was used, twice now is the use of the infrastructure sales tax as a way to then readjust what the required impact fees would be. So people don't understand this that when, yes, it makes sense when you say, well, there's so much traffic, we don't have enough roads and it's just a half cent more on our sales tax and we'll have this money for this. But as soon as then that passes, as as we passed a few years ago, then there's a requirement that they do a new impact fee study, update the impact fee study, to account for the new public money coming in. And then they go, oh, yeah, developers don't owe as much now because we have this other source of yeah. money. That's happened with the school district, and then it happened again with the county. So people don't realize that when they approve these taxes, they're voluntarily subsidizing the cost of growth and padding the developer's pocket.
1: But it's also important to remember, just what, two months ago, you reported on the facility investment fees that are the equivalent of impact fees for utilities. Mm-hmm. And a consultant came to the county and said, you know, your fees pretty much need to be double. So I think the fees are somewhere around $1,700. And I think he was recommending around 3000 and the board didn't want anything to do it. We're keeping the fees the same. So here you have a consultant that's saying to keep up with the infrastructure for water and sewer, which are two of the most important mm-hmm. things. You could keep your, inf- yeah, you could be an extra 30 minutes on a road, but you don't want a sewer line washing out right. or, or not be able to provide that line, um, Uh, that's needed for the development growth. So he basically told the board, you need to raise your fees for this. And the board said, no, we're smarter than you. We don't need to raise those fees because why? Why? Because I mean, we're conservative Republicans, and we want to you you know, know, make it, a stand here. Yeah. And I mean, it, it
2: looks bad politically. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> it looks bad to their
1: uh, maybe donors that they have right. that are contributing $1,000 apiece. But, I mean, the reality is, is that it's a business that you're running. And so you have to treat it like a business. If you don't bring in enough revenue, then you're going to have not enough money to take care of the things that you need. We've seen cities and counties and throughout this whole country pretty much go into almost bankruptcy because they can't afford to take care of their infrastructure. So that's why you need to make sure you have business-like people up there to make these decisions. They're not hard decisions because I don't think anybody... Joe, you haven't seen the brain trust
2: we have up on that <laughs> dais? Well, and what's that, interesting that, is... Nothing
1: says business acumen like the Manatee
0: <laughs> County Commission, right?
2: Well, and what's interesting is, is, is actually that's kind of been the the motto i guess you could say of 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 some of this crew since 2020 when scott hopes was there yeah van Austin bridge um satcher likes to say it bearden likes to say it now that we are running the government like a business, no, and we not. need to run it more yeah. like a business. Well, they're running it like the
0: second generation trust fund kid that runs yeah, it into th- the ground. Yeah, right? third, third <laughs>
1: generation. It's yeah, they're running it like a bad business, right? They're, you know, and, and that's the sad part is that if 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 the public wants to really evaluate their elected officials based on their resumes, no way would they have elected the people that are there today. I mean, they would not have hired them into those positions. I mean, they're, to run a billion
0: dollar business, right?
1: Yeah, it's like they make $25,000 as a realtor and then, you know, in the best times that you've ever had. And it just is unfortunate because the county is a business, a big business, as as we all know. And it's not being run very efficiently. If people come to that business that you've hired to give good advice and you say no.
2: <laughs> but no. But unlike a corporate business, which is it should be focused on its profits right and its product the public business with the exception of the utilities department i believe is the only like self supporting supposedly yeah right so otherwise the 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 product here is public service Right, and there, and there's not really supposed to be profit. Right, it's, it's really more cost.
0: like a public benefit corporation, but you would hope that you'd be managing toward the efficiency yeah. Yeah. that yeah. you're right. looking for. In a yeah, business. when I'm you creating. talk
1: about running it like a business, you wanna have the efficiency so that you don't have a deficit of road infrastructure. Right. Right? Because if you were the developer, you wouldn't be putting one lane roads to your houses when you needed two lane
2: roads yeah and I mean you know, so that's what we're doing essentially and and i noticed in the w- there were a lot of budget meetings that happened while you were gone budget workshops right and the one that was uh the presentation from our new utilities director which is that evan pilichowski right. he's here from uh, used to work for new york state new york, right. dep um he was explaining to the board or at least my understanding listening to him that we're understaffed we're underfunded right We've got, I mean, he uh, down to saying, you know, something that was surprising to me that I don't, you know, as a citizen, really consider. Um, you know, look, we're we're behind on things like inspecting our fire hydrants. Right. Uh, we don't have the staff. We don't have the resources. I found that presentation honestly quite unnerving, um, and and has only added a little bit more to my. Discomfort over all this reporting concerning the drinking water and whatever, because I want to, as a citizen, not only feel like, you know, we have competent leadership who are making... um, Competent decisions? Yes. (laughs) You can say it. (laughs) Yes. um, And that... But also well, that we that we have that we have the the workforce that we need and the yeah. competent workforce that well, we need and and enough resources and money and um, well well let's just look
1: at the one example that's I drove by yesterday the water line going to Anamary Island one of the most important infrastructures that you could have is a water line that's feeding thousands of people on your Barry Island which is one of the only connections for water and they let the the clamps and the, the braces rust out to where the pipe falls down. And now mm-hmm. the pipes in the water, they have a temporary line costing how many millions of dollars probably to um, the vendor to put that temporary line in. Um, and then now they're going to have to reconnect something permanent. Um, but it also goes back to their failure to follow through on the fixed bridge that was supposed to be at Annemarie Island 20 years ago the the board actually had that as a high-priority bridge to replace. And so the water line was supposed to be replaced with, in connection with that new fixed bridge for Annemarie Island on mm-hmm. Manatee Avenue, not the controversial right, Cortez, not Cortez Bridge. One, right. And so nobody ever inspected that to say, I mean, I go underneath there with a the boat, and you could see that some of these water lines, even the Lombo Key water line, it's just dangerous. It, it's like, is that pipe really going to stay up there that much longer because well, you could see this stuff? So it goes back to your point. If the utilities director is saying we don't have enough staff to do inspections, well, they didn't have enough staff to go out there and see what we see every day with, with the rusty clamps that are holding up you know, this pipe that's probably weighing about 1,000 pounds because it's a
2: metal pipe. An interesting thought I had about that, uh, thinking on the same vein of like, was there nobody from the county who had noticed they should have, you know. There should have been inspections on that that infrastructure there. Also, it's not like you got to dig it up to take a look yeah, at it, right? Um, but also, those bridges. Am I wrong? Are would be inspected by FDOT as well. So might not have FDOT. I think noticed. they did. I think they did flag it to the county, and the county
1: just didn't do anything about it. That's my understanding. I mean, but again, you know, there's only a few of these pipes around that are exposed that you would want to go out once a year right. and, and inspect, but. I can tell you from being a boater and underneath these bridges, they're scary looking. The Longbow Key Bridge is not a whole lot better. Cortez Bridges is Hey, a don't tell me better. this
2: because I'm going to have anxiety <laughs> driving over every bridge. Well, I the mean, state. the bridges <laughs> are going
1: to fall down. I'm talking about the the, the water pipes that are holding up. Uh, they, they basically bolt the, uh, uh, put a bolt through mm-hmm. the sidewalk and hang the water pipe. Yep. And I don't think those bridges were ever intended like big, giant to really yeah, mm-hmm. hold these um, big thousands of pounds of worth of pipe underneath their sidewalks for probably going on plus 50 years. But it mm-hmm. goes back to, again, stewardship. I mean, the county commissioners were pushing to have the Anna Maria Bridge replaced as a high priority. And now you don't hear about it anymore. And it's like, this is an outcome of your failure to follow through with replacing major infrastructure. That,
0: and that, that's been a theme because it's hard work. Yeah. And that's why you can't have these lazy-minded, you know, inexperienced, bringing very little to the table in terms of yeah. project management, commissioners and elected officials. And then you, on top of that, hollow out your administration and get rid of
1: all your legacy experience they don't remember that that was a priority and the reason why it's a priority is because of things like this is that the water line needed to be replaced with the bridge 10 years ago minimum and here we are today with a with a hazard in the water because the water line is just in there with floats up you know marking it for half the length of the Anna Maria Bridge. It's it's just sad.
0: I think the better analogy to the businesses, it's like a business that got in bed with the mob that like took a mob loan and then all of a sudden the, the mob comes in and, and starts hollowing out the business, borrowing on its yeah. credit cards and leaves up just a husk in bankruptcy yeah. Yeah. at the end. Yeah. That's what we're seeing right now. The mob of development has said we want to take over this business of county government, but we only care about These little tiny elements of it that impact us and we want the taxes to be really low. So nothing else is going to get done.
1: And I've told you this before on, on these podcasts is that we used to have within the community businesses that would be looking after what's going on in our community. But now the businesses are just trying to, like you're saying, just hollow out whatever they can through these development decisions and they don't care about anything else other than our development approvals and getting different rules in place so they could put more houses on more wetlands. So years ago, the downtown business association used to be kind of like the godfather of, of decisions being made. And that was before the whole County blew up and became what it is today. All, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bigger County, but we're missing that we're missing businesses. Like the chamber of commerce used to be in involved and in, and I don't, see the chamber of commerce doing anything anymore
0: well it seems like the message has been sent out one you're going to hurt your business if you make certain enemies and two this ethos has just been blindly adopted that growth is good for all the businesses be pro growth period yeah
1: and i, I looked at one of the uh, commenters on next door i believe uh, uh somebody was saying you know they were planning on moving into the area and then they i think it was a reddit oh yeah, yeah I, I saw that and as well so yeah. i went to that site Me and too. i can't believe the negative comments that oh people yes gave. that was somebody
2: who left a comment on one of our yeah. reporting yeah, right and yeah. gave the link to the reddit yeah. i went there as well i yeah. was like oh what's this that was a little
1: it was disheartening. there was a theme there yeah um every commissioner should read that because that's not something that's fabricated by a media correct these are real people saying hey this place is just too much growth it's not what it used to be yep. and, and it's and what we've been well, saying that, that's the best way to
0: see it too because i have heard that so much from people who visit yeah and there, there's no better litmus test. it's kind of like when you have a kid you don't see him growing every day but the uncle that comes in twice a year is yep. like oh my god i can't believe how big well, the cotton." or I, when you lose weight or anything like that but the people that come down here visiting and if you're just coming here once a year yeah. for the past fifteen years, yeah, you can imagine what yeah. what the 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 just you know whiplash that you would get from what you see today. Yeah. I, and I'm just going back to. I'm not talking about when there were, you know Fruitvale was a was no a dirt time, road. ten years ago. Yeah, just go back to 2010 yeah. and look at that compared to today. Yeah. Look at the commute times. Look at the ability to get to the island from anywhere. And yeah. I'm, I'm not even talking about from Lake Ranch. I'm saying from Northwest Bradenton, getting to the island. I live
2: two miles away, and at some points of the day, it's it's, hour and fifteen minutes. Yeah, Yeah. to to get on or off.
0: And then once you're there, an hour and fifteen minutes, and then hover around until you can find some place. You know, and I
2: think I told you I have a girlfriend who grew up and went to school in Sarasota, had family in Manatee County. She came down. She now has lived on the West Coast for some time. She came back for a visit after not having visited Manatee County. I don't think for maybe. Three years or so, just before the pandemic, she came into town. We went driving around looking at, you know, old neighborhoods and downtown Sarasota and the changes. And I I think I told you at one point in the car, she turns to me and she says, so what is the deal here? Do you guys just, like, not believe in urban planners anymore in Manatee County? Like, what's happening? (laughs) I mean, and this is literally from somebody who... You know, she's not paying attention to what's yeah. going on here. She didn't realize, and that was her observation, right? She yeah. didn't realize how much that comment actually said a lot to me, yeah. um based on <laughs> what I've been learning about.
1: Well, so. we used to have a lot of urban planning, and unfortunately, it just went by the wayside with the developers putting their, uh, you know, puppets into office. Yeah, and it's not only just the county commissioner; it's also the state legislature. When you look at what mm-hmm. the state legislators doing and they're taking the powers away from cities and counties and they're trying to dictate from the state what you should be doing at the local level whether it's a comprehensive plan completely antithetical to the so-called conservatism yeah. which is keep government as small, small as, as possible, as possible. L- home rule yeah. always and well, that's th- what they said going up there is like local rule is better right and then they get up there and it's like no state rule is better you know it's just like the comp plan if you want to challenge the comp plan decision where somebody's doing a development that's contrary to your comp plan now you have to Pay for all the attorney fees if you lose, without a judge deciding that. Mm-hmm. It's part of law now, and so who's going to risk their particularly since work? we've
0: seen how reticent judges are right. to overturn what they feel are our yeah. local government decisions.
1: Yeah, it's very tough to overturn a. So local you're going, you're going with the with the deck stack
0: already, and then if they say, yeah. oh, oh, by the way, you might have six yeah. figure
1: bills. Well, you it's know. just like what we saw with the city of Bradenton when they approved those four houses for Neil on, on Perico. It was totally against the comp plan. They went in and did a comp plan change on the uh, guys that, oh, this was a mistake in the beginning. It was conservation land. They, they um, didn't get the Army Corps permit. So now they're building the house over the mangroves. They actually have stilts mm-hmm. where they put a house for the first time that I'm aware of in Manatee County over mangrove, the mangroves yeah. and on a one-lane roadway going in so it family it, compound isn't it joe i think all the lots are sold now to oh. somebody other than family members i, I thought they were gonna i think we both predicted that they
0: would pivot <laughs> away from that family compound plan that they were pushing when they were trying to get the approvals
1: yeah it's 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 just a mess and it's it doesn't have to be that way and um, i know it's a lot of work on citizens to step up to the plate and run for office but certainly you know that's the message that needs to be clear if somebody doesn't step up then you're still going to have this loss of quality of life in the future. And it's not too late to maybe stop the bleeding. I would say that we're never going to get it back to where we thought we were going to be able to preserve. Right. But the good thing is that you could stop the bleeding. And if not, then, you know, we're going to pay the price for years to come. I mean, especially out East. I mean, the new people moving out East, they deserve better than what they're getting. And, and you know, people are going to be dying on roads more than they should it's it's just um a complicated
2: the school's gonna be worse off I, I think there were two fatalities at least two fatalities uh in the last week out east i think one was parish off of oh, vehicle us 301 yeah. uh and another was was it off of state road 64 east both involved vehicles going into what yeah one went into fort hammer yeah, the well, water at fort yeah, hammer that was and a, weird and a one. teenager died yeah. And then another one I just read about today was in Paris. It was a retention pond uh, killed the, the driver, yeah. drove off the road. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, driving in Europe uh, was
1: amazing. Um, I like our roads a lot better, but they do a lot better job at uh, traffic calming with with um, different techniques other than just uh, roundabouts. But it was amazing. I, I was away for about a month, and I drove almost uh, for three weeks out of uh, out of that month. And I did not see one accident on the side of the road. Oh, wow. Not one accident. I did not see a police officer pull over anybody. People obeyed the speed limits. They drove in a manner that they were educated drivers. And it's, it's just like common sense things. Like a person's coming onto the interstate. You move to the other lane right. and give them the advantage yep. rather than saying, no, it's my lane. I'm yep. going to, like, force you out of it. It was just a real interesting way to drive and use Europe. the
0: passing lane for actively passing yeah. not just laying out there so people start passing on the right but,
1: but it didn't hit me until i came back because the first day i was back there was already accidents alongside mm-hmm. of i-75 i went down to fort myers uh, last friday and it was like four accidents and then yeah, if you one, drive
0: any if you drive yeah. an hour you're going to see multiple accidents
1: and then one one then on the way back from fort myers it was around six o'clock or so and I-75 was shut down by Fruitville, I believe, because of an accident. And, it's, and and I'm just not saying Europe's all that much better than the United States. But what I'm saying is like, it's kind of strange that I could drive for a whole month in Europe and not see an accident or a police person pull somebody overnight, not even a, a police car on the roadway. And then you get back to your own country. And the first thing that you notice is all these accidents and the policing you know, having to mm-hmm. pull people over for not abiding by speed limits. And, and so we, we need to do something different. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a big takeaway for me when I came back driving here. It's like, well, that's kind of weird. I haven't seen an accident for a whole month driving over in Europe and here I get back the first day and there's accidents. It's, and, and I think it goes back to driver education. I think they put more emphasis on, on people driving. It's a dangerous vehicle yes. and you have to learn how to drive. My
0: son was extremely disappointed in what he had to learn yeah. and what he didn't. Yeah. And the idea that like, a lot of it were these like obscure laws about like, how far when you're parking or something like that. And at the expense of things that you actually do on a road that are, you know, uh, whether or not they're they're dangerous. And right. he said, you know, the vast majority of safety was just like, don't text and drive. And then there were these obscure laws about like parking and different yeah. things that, that didn't, none of, none of which covered this stuff that we did out in the roadway right. of look, this is, this is how you merge onto a, a yeah. road effectively. This is how you, tur- you don't turn across two lanes when you make a left onto Manatee Avenue. Yeah. You. you turn into the near lane because the person coming the other way has the right away to yeah. turn onto the right. Yeah. And he's like, that.
1: none of that ever came up. So yeah. I don't think we do a good job at all. Yeah, and I don't think the, we're ever gonna be able to catch up because you got bad drivers teaching bad drivers the, how right, to drive. Right, exactly. So exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that will do it for this week's episode. Welcome back, Joe. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be back, and thanks for all the good reporting, Don. Um, you know, just keep on doing what you're doing. People really appreciate uh, the coverage up there, out there. And then Dennis, you know, your opinion pieces are spot on, and and uh, just they make
0: it too easy for me right now, Joe. I'm yeah. telling you,
1: this time it's like
0: one. What's that? What are they call the Chinese curse? May you live in interesting times. Yeah, well, yeah you are. There, there were times in my career when I was like, "What am I going to write about this week?" Uh, let me let me dig up. And sometimes it's like, "All right, I'm really stretching to cover this issue that might not be as important." But there's not a hot lot going on in July. This is the recess, and we have been hotter story wise during July yeah. than we have during most of the sessions. Yeah, we keep and, on saying that every time right? we get
1: together. You know yeah. that. And <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. so.
0: But the other part is that it sometimes. They're so nonsensical in their actions that it's like these columns are almost writing themselves. Yeah. Like you're making it too, too easy to just dunk on the stupidity of our public officials. Yep. And I, I won't say I feel bad for them, but it's almost... <laughs> they get what they deserve. How about it?
2: Well, All congratulations right. on a 100th episode yes and again
0: thank you everybody who tunes in uh our our listenership has been growing steadily throughout that time this is a great time to remind you because we were just talking before this episode on how we've gotten so many news story tips and we are by far the smallest publication in the region and i think we do arguably the best reporting in the region despite those lack of resources. Uh, So if you can become a volunteer subscriber, click on that banner on the homepage and just give $7 a month To support fact-based news and analysis without an agenda—that's not just a slogan here. That is actually the ethos, and we just—we want to continue doing more, and we need the resources to do it. So we appreciate everybody reading. If you're not a subscriber and you can, we—we would would really mean a lot to us. And as always, tune in Sunday so that you can see the reporting we've got coming up in the Sunday edition. As always, thank you for listening to Bradenton Times podcast: fact-based news and analysis without an agenda.